You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning. Open them up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we continue in our series of Down to Earth Christmas. Uh, last week, we started out by talking about glory revealed. We looked at the shepherds and said uh, the angel came and appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. They were afraid. You'll remember in Matthew, when uh, Joseph hears about this, he says, uh, he's told, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And uh, Mary is filled with fear as well, and she's told, don't be afraid. Um, The glory of God is coming down. The glory of God is being revealed, and the natural response to that is fear. Um, Unless we have a relationship, unless we're in Jesus Christ, because shortly after in the message last week, we're, do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. The Savior has come, and His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And the the thing that takes away the fear of God and standing before God takes away the fear of, of the glory of God is a relationship. And uh, we talked about that last week. Today, uh, as we kind of get our focus ready for what comes on the Sunday before Christmas and Christmas Eve, we want to put a focus on the character that's displayed in Jesus Christ. What's the kind of character that He demonstrated for us? I don't know if you ever heard these words. I heard them as a kid sometimes if I was acting up or I was doing something silly. My, my mom or my dad would say, you're quite a little character. You're quite a little character. Um, Some of you, I can see by the smirk on your face, you were called that. That wasn't necessarily a a positive thing at that time, but the reality is you were demonstrating some qualities as a person, and so you were called a little character. Um, The Cambridge Dictionary says character is the particular combination of qualities in a person that makes them different from others. It's the qualities in somebody that makes them different, that makes you stand out. Um, Some synonyms would be integrity or your disposition or your makeup. Your character makes you who you are. And so today, we want to take a look at the character of Jesus. And as it is revealed in Philippians 2, there are a lot of other things we could look at, but this is one of those uh, powerful texts in Scripture. It's a very popular text in Scripture. It's a text that we're not going to drill down into all of the depths of it, but just hit into some things that I hope will help us to see and understand the character that's displayed for us in Jesus Christ. So it's found in Philippians 2. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read His Word, and I'm going to read verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can hold in our hands your very word, and we can explore what it says, looking to what the plain word of God says today. I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts to hear, Lord. If we need encouragement, then, Lord, encourage us. If we need correction or discipline, Lord, then do that. But at the end of the day, Lord, uh, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And so I pray, God, that you would give us ears to listen, ears to hear your word, 
minds to be able to comprehend what the true meaning of your word is, and then hearts, God, to passionately, faithfully live out what we've learned for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11 might very well have been a hymn that Paul wrote. It's very poetic for them, and they might have actually made this into a song that they sung. It doesn't really matter, but just the structure of it is incredible and could very well have been a hymn in the early church. But um, the power of these words as it proclaims who Jesus Christ is is really what we want to take a look at today. And really, there are three things that we want to see. Here's the first thing we want to see. We want to see the character of Christ on display for you. This is what Christ did for us. What Christ did for us. I found right in the text, verses 5 to 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we get into this text, we want to understand something. The character traits that we see in Jesus Christ, the things that he did are not just things for us to observe about him and be thankful for, but rather they're things for us to take and make part of our lives. How do I know that? Well, the text starts out by saying, have this mind among yourselves. This is what you need to be going for. This is what you should be going for. The kind of character traits that Jesus had are the character traits that we should be going for. Now understand this text, this part of the text, this mind in you says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is only possible because of the working of Christ in us. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then, then these are the things that you should be going for. There's other things in the text for others in the room we're going to talk about as well. But for all of us who claim to be followers of Christ, this text is for us, and we're to take these things. We're about to learn some things and uh, we need to um, focus on them, and uh, they describe the working of Christ. And we don't want to admire these kind of traits from a distance, but rather make them our own as, as they apply to us what's God saying to us. So we're told first in that verse 5 to think like this. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Nobody here in this room is instructing the Lord, but that verse finishes, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Talk a lot in church. I talk a lot about it. The, the battle is for your mind. The battle is for your mind. And uh, this text is one of those. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So as we explore what Christ did for us, let's look at a few things. Here's the first one found in verse 6. Letting go of self. Letting go of self. Difficult thing for us in our society. Our society is all built around everything I can have, everything I can do. And yet the picture of Jesus Christ was letting go of self. Verse 6. The who he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In the form of God describes Jesus' pre-incarnate existence. He was in the form God. In other words, he was God. Colossians has some great passages about this. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to talk about, and nothing was made that wasn't made by Him. So God the Creator is Jesus Christ. 
He's the preexistent one. He is on the throne. God is a trinity. Jesus is on the throne. And yet it says, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In the King James Version, it says, being in form God. Um, in, the, in the ESV, it, it just says, in the form of God. But it wasn't something that he had to grasp and hold on to. Why? Because he was God. I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations, I think, that will help us to understand that better as we, as we go along. But um, So our text says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In the King James, it said, did not consider it robbery uh, to be equal with God. The, the picture here is uh, Jesus is in heaven. He's going to come to earth. Some things are going to change when he comes because he didn't have to grasp onto them. It wasn't like he was trying to hold on for dear life because if he lost it, he was never going to be God again. Uh, Jesus Christ never stopped being God. He didn't become less God when he came to earth. So it wasn't something he had to grip to. But Jesus Christ, for your sake and for my sake, was willing to let go of self. He was willing to let go of self. In verse 7, it says he emptied himself. See, Christ surrendered zero attributes of his deity when he came to earth. You're saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But he, but he wasn't omnipresent when he came to earth, right? He did not operate with that. But he didn't give it up. He, didn't, he could have taken it back anytime he wanted to. But he set it aside for a time so that he could come. In verse 7 it says, that's the emptied himself. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus didn't become less God when he came to earth. But rather he took on humanity and added that uh, to his nature. How can I explain it to you? Uh, here's two pictures. If you were the king of a nation, and you're, you're the king of the nation, and you decide, I want to go down and find out what the regular people are like. If you go out in your robes, and you go out and all dressed up, and you go out with all your crown on and all the rest, nobody's going nobody's gonna to treat you like you're just a regular guy. And so if you're the king, and you go and you take off your robes, and you put on the robes of a merchant, and go out into the people and meet with the people, right? Here's the reality. You're still the king. You didn't give up anything. You're still the king. Now, that's a human picture of a divine principle, so it's not complete, but it kind of gives you an idea. Uh, here's maybe a, a better illustration of it. I was thinking about this this uh, last week. I was watching the TV program Undercover Boss, right? Undercover Boss. The CEO, um, what was the name of the company? TaylorMade. Thank you, George. From TaylorMade Golf Stuff. And I'm watching the whole thing at the end. All I came out of it was I wanted a set of golf clubs. But it was the CEO for tailor-made golf clubs. He, he gets all dressed up in a disguise. And he goes down to where the workers are. He goes out with a guy who's on the driving range teaching people how to hit the ball and setting up the clubs for them and trying to sell them clubs. He, he uh, meets with a lady who's in the department where they're packaging the balls and making sure they're all up to standard. He goes out there, and, but he's wearing a disguise. And Jesus didn't wear a disguise, but Jesus came to be like us. Just like that CEO went out and, and met with his staff on their terms, he never stopped being the CEO. 
He was always the CEO. Could have taken the mask off, could have at any point blown his cover. He could have, he was still and always was the CEO. And the thing we need to understand about Jesus Christ and his coming, he never relinquished being God. He never set that apart, but rather he took on humanity for us. It says he was born in the likeness of men, and he came as a servant. Angels are servants, but they're not in the likeness of man. Aladdin's genie was a servant, but not in the likeness of man. A Jesus came as a servant, and he came in the likeness of man. And then it says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we have Jesus letting go of self. We have Jesus emptying himself. We have Jesus humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. As I was studying this, I came across an article of some of the ways that Christ humbled himself. It's amazing when you think about it. God in heaven comes to earth so you ultimately can have eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ the Lord. How did Christ humble himself? Now think about this in your context of your life and how you're unwilling to humble yourself in so many things that you're called to. What, what Christ did in humbling himself, here's a, here's a list of them. He, he humbled himself and then he took on the form of a man. Could have taken on the form of a glorious creature like an angel, but he didn't. He took on the form of a man. He was born into an obscure and oppressed place. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. Nobody knows who he is. The king of kings is coming to solve the world's problem, and he comes in obscurity. He humbled himself. He was born into poverty. He was born as a child. He didn't come just like and appear on the earth, and I am the Savior. Let's get this thing going, and everybody rally around me. No, he didn't come like that. He he was born as a child. He submitted to the obedience appropriate of a child. He grew up in his mom and dad's home and learned obedience and learned submission and learned because he humbled. This is God. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He probably learned to practice a trade. His dad was a carpenter and he humbled himself. He waited a long time to launch his public ministry. Jesus Christ was about 30 years old. This is God coming to earth to redeem us, to save us, and he humbled himself. 30 years he waited. Then his, his ministry was like three years long before he's put on a cross and dies for us. He, he humbled himself. He humbled himself in the companions that he chose and the disciples that he chose. Again, the Savior of the world is coming to earth, and he's not hobnobbing with the top echelon of people in the world, but rather he's hanging out with the fishermen and the tax collectors, the, the lowly. Remember, the message to the angels was to the shepherds first, to the lowly. That's how, how Jesus would come. He was humble in the audience he appealed to and in the way he taught. He was humble in the temptation that he allowed and that he endured. He was humble in the weakness of hunger and thirst and tiredness that he endured for us. He humbled himself. He humbled himself in total obedience to his heavenly Father. He humbled himself in choosing to submit to the death of the cross. 
He humbled himself in the agony of that death. He humbled himself in the shame and the mocking and the public humiliation of his death. He humbled himself in enduring the spiritual agony of his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Who being in very form God, did not think that was something he had to hold tightly onto. Why? Because he was God. But he humbled himself, even to the point of death, the excruciating physical death, the shame, the suffering, the agony of that death, the spiritual agony of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ came to earth so that he could humble himself. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said this, The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Spurgeon goes on and says, Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes a man, he still stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ humbled himself. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we have this picture of Jesus coming and humbling himself. And then one more picture in the text as we think about his character in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus lived in obedience. Jesus chose to obey. Hey, Dad, in the room. What does your obedience to Christ look like? What is there in your life that you know God's called you to? Called you to a life of obedience and you won't do it? Or mom, what is it God's put on your heart to do in obeying God? Young adult, what is there before you right now that God has laid on your heart and you're resisting it, you're fighting against it? Kids in the room, obedience. Why? Well, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Now, but you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand. If you understood what my parents were like, you would understand why I can't obey them. Really? Jesus Christ looks at you, and yet he obeyed. Hey, Dad. No, but it's pretty hard. You know, I need to compromise some things in the workplace because, Really? Hey, Mom I'm, trying to, Mom, I'm trying to raise the kids well, but like, it's just so much hard work. Sometimes I just... Obedience. Why? Because Jesus did. And any obedience that you do or I do will be nothing in comparison to what Jesus, who being in very form God, took on the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death 
on the cross. So if you struggle with submission, if you struggle with obedience, get your eyes off of the people who are around you and get your eyes on the awesome work of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for you and what he did for you. The character of Christ is on display for you. This is what Christ did for us. The next thing I want us to see is the character of God on display, what God did in Christ. What God did in Christ. We see it in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's like, so now we're trying to figure out, well, what was the name? What was the name? What was the name? Well, highest name I could possibly think of would be Yahweh. Um, I don't think that's really what is, what's getting at here, but, but that would be a name for sure um, because Jesus Christ is God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's interesting that as it says that, therefore God has highly exalted him. Um, that, so we shouldn't take this for granted. Don't let these words just pass you by simply. Jesus didn't crown himself. The Father crowned him. He did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty. The Father lifted him there and placed him on this throne. And so we need to pause and think about Jesus is super highly exalted by God because of what he did and what he accomplished. He gave him a name that is above every name. When we think of names, we just think about it. Paul, Sue, George, whatever. Like. It's way more than that. When he gave him the name that is above every name, it talks about the esteem. It talks about the honor. It talks about what is declared for him. It talks about his character. And Jesus Christ and what he did, he gets the name. He gets the name that's above every other name in the earth. And God gave him that name. God helped me more and more in my life to see that Jesus Christ has the name that is exalted. I don't have the name that is exalted. You don't have the name that is exalted. Jesus Christ has the name that's super exalted. And when we consider his work and then consider how God exalts him, then we would live out of that more and more every day, putting him first, putting him on the throne, lifting him up as the one who deserves all glory and all praise. The character of God on display, this is what God did in Christ. And then here's the third thing. Our true character will be on display. This is what we will do because of Christ. Our true character will be on display. It's what we will do because of Christ. Look at verses 10 and 11. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The text says that at the name, this exalted name, at the name, not just any name, not your good name, at the name. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the name. The name, Jesus Christ. And so when he says, so that the name of Jesus, and he says, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's really just a statement that so we would all understand. It conveys the absolute totality of all creation recognizing the superiority of Jesus Christ whether it's on the earth, under the earth, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue will confess. You know, this idea of every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, if you were to ask the average person, they would go, no, they knew that that was from Philippians chapter 2. I've preached that lots of times. I've used it in illustrations many times in our church. But as Paul says it to them, he's reminding them of something. He's telling them, you need to understand who we're talking about in this text. And if they were a Bible scholar at all, Paul didn't just make that up. Paul got it right out of Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And there's what it says. To me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And so what what Paul is saying, he's taking from the Old Testament so we understand when we talk about Jesus and every knee will bow and every tongue confess, we're talking about awesome, holy God, the creator of the universe. This is who we're talking about. So in these verses, as we think about what's going to happen to us or for us or through us, we need to understand we're talking about the working of Almighty God. And so it says... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. In Philippi, the Philippians were living under Roman rule and more and more and more during this time, they are being called to pledge allegiance, to pledge allegiance to the emperor. And more and more, their step and their faith, their, their walk and their faith for Christ was costing them something. Paul would be in prison. And the call for them is, will you bow the knee? So when they heard these words, every knee will bow, they kind of understood, oh man, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on here. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess, because that's what Rome was working towards. That's what Rome was requiring of them. Remember uh, in the Old Testament, Daniel's uh, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they were told, you need to bend. You need to bow. You need to declare allegiance. And they wouldn't. And they wouldn't. Why? Because they would only bend the knee. They would only declare allegiance to God. And so that's what's being called for here. That's what they would understand it in the context of every knee. See, no one is excluded from that. This was not just written to the church, or he would have talked about, you know, you people in the church, we're going to bow our knees and we're going to worship God. That's totally awesome, right? I'm I'm not really afraid of that. I'm excited about that. But this text isn't just for believers who are sitting in church on a Sunday morning. This every knee is every knee. It's the people in this room and it's everyone outside of this room. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. So it makes me think about the priorities that we put on things in our lives and what we put first. You know, you've got your, uh, your kid and they're studying at school and they're struggling with math and so you get them a math tutor so they'll do better and, and then you get them in this program and this program and this program and this program because you want them to do well. Are they ready to bend the knee? Are they ready to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? On Facebook, I saw this statistic the other day. Less than 0.0296% of kids will become professional athletes. In other words, your kid is not going to be a professional athlete. So if you think that's your retirement plan, just kiss that plan goodbye right now. 
But how many people are spending time and time and time and time and time and trying to get their kid into some program, trying to get them that next leg up, trying to get them that, is it wrong for Christians to be athletes? No, it's not wrong. But it's not your kid, so get over it. And there you are with all that effort and all that energy and all that desire for them. And uh, Daniel Meyer told me uh, last night about uh, a hockey player in the NHL right now, young guy, um, who grew up in this general area. But for his career... To, to move forward best that his parents thought they could do it, his parents got a divorce so that his dad could move into Toronto and then he could play hockey in Toronto because that would be a better positioning for him to move forward. How whack is that? But that's the kind of thing people do. Point zero zero eight six percent of people will be a famous celebrity. But here's what I know for sure. 100% of people are going to bend the knee. And 100% of people are going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So as a parent, where are you putting your emphasis where are you putting your priority? You got this math genius who's going to hell. And you're more worried about their math grade or their sports or their, than you are about their walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the priority for our own selves and our own lives and how we're working to better ourselves, better ourselves, and do all these things so that we'll be in a better place and we'll be stronger and we'll be... 100% of us are going to bend the knee. And 100% of us are going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It says every tongue, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. That's in word and in action that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. God, help us to have a passion for people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would have opportunity, we would have influence, that they would come to know Jesus Christ the Lord. Because every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Well, there's really just two groups of people that this can be applied to, and that's those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And uh, so the, the neat thing for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to bend the knee, we're going to willingly bend the knee, and we're going to confess, we're going to love to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That leads to our salvation. It leads to eternity with God in glory. But what a great hope. You think about the work of Christ. You think about his, his, um, the character things he did so you could have eternal life. Now God help us to live that out so that when we bend the knee, when we confess with the mouth, we just rejoice before the Lord. But then there are people and there are people in this room and most of the people in our world who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I want to say this carefully and graciously, I don't want to disrespect you in that sense, but whether you believe it or not, it's true. What I'm about to say is true. Um, you're going to bend the knee. You're going to. And you are going to confess. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then God will say, but I don't know you.
and you'll be separated from God for eternity in hell. See, every knee, not just some knees, not just the good people knees, not just the Christian knees, not, every single knee in the world will bend, every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, this work of Christ, this, this what we've been talking about here, this how he came and took himself on the humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ went to the cross because you had a debt you couldn't pay. You were separated from God in your sin. There's none righteous, not even one. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe, believe, and you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's not of work, so that no one can boast. And so we put our trust no longer in what we thought we were about and what our hope is. We understand that Jesus Christ coming at Christmas was the beginning of this earth part so that Christ could go to the cross so that he could be buried, so that he could rise again, being the seal, being the hope, being the receipt, as it were, for all that he said, so you could have eternal life. So you couldn't earn that. You didn't deserve that. God did that. God came, humbled himself, did all this, so that by faith alone in Christ alone, you could believe and you could be saved. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, this is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will, you will, you will be saved. You will be saved. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day we're going to say it. You are Lord. One day we're all going to say it. And we do it to the glory of God the Father. Well, so what? It's Christmas, Pastor. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Like, can't we just do a little Jesus stuff in the manger and all feel good about ourselves? Well, we'll get to some of that, but let's, let's make sure we get the foundation right. The glory of God is being revealed. The character of Christ is being displayed so that we can understand what Christmas is leading to and what it's all about and why it's so important for us. This is a time to look in the mirror this is a time to look in the mirror, a time to look at the amazing work that Christ has done for us. And how, are we taking that? Are we, have we appropriated that work uh, to ourselves? This is the, a time to understand the awesome work of Christ in God where, where, where God has highly exalted him, highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. And then there's an incredible impact on you and I. Every knee, every tongue, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the text we started with said, have this mind in you. The battle's for your mind. The battle for your mind to be fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. The battle for your mind that we would be focused on him and what he is doing and what he has accomplished and living for his glory and not for our glory. God, God help us as we seek to do that. So believers... He stooped, he stooped, he stooped to become a man. And then he stooped, and he stooped, and he stooped, and he hung on a cross. 
Help us to reflect on that, rejoice in that, live out of that, the hope that we have because of our salvation. And for those who are in the room who have never trusted Christ, those things he did, he did for you. The offers for you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Why? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of this text. We thank you for the amazing writing that Paul gave to the church at Philippi, the clarity that they gave them so that they could understand who you are and how you worked and what you did. We think of the character of Christ and how he came and what he surrendered and how he humbled himself and and how he died so that I could have life. God, how awesome it is that you lifted him up with a name that's above every name. But Lord, the reality is there are implications for that for all of us because every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And for those who are in Christ, would we rejoice in that? But we be overwhelmed in the awe of your working and live for you and for the one in the room who's never trusted Christ, would this be the day they transfer their trust and put their faith in Christ alone for their salvation, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.